Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Basic application, the first launch would take about 30 seconds on a brand new M1 Pro. Doing the same thing on an iPad Air 2, and mind you, that came out, I think, 2014. So on an iPad Air 2, it took about 25 seconds from a cold launch for me to run Munchie on the iPad Air 2 in Swift Playgrounds. So the fact like that alone is insane. Like the M1 is near instant. When I write code, it's there and ready for me to play with. And that's unprecedented for a coder. Hello there. I hope everyone had a fantastic holiday and welcome to 2022. For this first episode of the new year, we have an exciting one. Apple finally released the update to Swift Playgrounds that lets you write, test, and release iPhone and iPad apps entirely from an iPad. You can even do this on extremely old hardware like the iPad Air 2. And as you'll hear in this episode, you'll be able to do that with really great results, actually. Our guest today is Frank Foster. Frank was given early access to Swift Playgrounds 4 by Apple and had about a month of early access and built a very simple app during that month to put it through its paces. But before we get to that, I also asked Anders Borum, the developer of Working Copy, to send in a quick bit of audio to share how you can use Working Copy to handle version control with your Swift Playground 4 app. So he shares a bit on how to do this and his general thoughts on this update to Swift Playgrounds. Here's Anders audio. Enjoy. My name is Anders Borum and I make Working Copy. Working Copy is a general purpose Git client for iPad. It can track changes in projects, merge work made by other people, and jump back to old versions of files if you make mistakes. It interfaces with GitHub and other Git services, and while it knows about Swift, it doesn't know about Swift Playgrounds, and it doesn't have to know. Swift Playgrounds are directories masquerading as documents. We sometimes call these packages on Mac, where it's possible to right-click and show the package contents. If you drag a directory into working copy, it will be managed by the app, and the same goes for Swift Playground packages. The easiest way to put your Swift Playgrounds under version control is to drag from the file set into the list of repositories in Working Copy. It seems natural to drag directly from the Swift Playgrounds app, but when dragging this way, you get a copy of the playground with no way to track changes. You need to drag from the file set to make a link between the playground and Working Copy. With a Swift Playground link, the directory structure inside the package is clear. There are a number of Swift files and an asset catalog. The .swiftpm directory looks like it contains machine-generated files that can be ignored by Git. Repositories need a special .git folder, almost always in the outermost directory of a project. Working Copy is careful about not confusing other apps, and when you link a new directory, it looks for this .git directory and will use it when present, but it doesn't add it when missing. You can go to the configuration screen of the repository, where you also pick the commit identity, and tell Working Copy to locate the .git directory inside the playground. It doesn't seem to confuse the Swift Playgrounds app. It is interesting that Swift Playgrounds doesn't support Git out of the box. My guess is that Apple thinks of Git as a complexity that they hope isn't necessary for most app development on the iPad. Apple seems to have an extremely patient approach where they cut away complexity, even as this limits the iPad, and work for years to lift the worst limitations. Sometimes this pays off, and sometimes it doesn't. I don't think we would have had such a nice trackpad pointer had they just adopted a traditional Mac-style pointer years ago. On the other hand, Apple tried to cut away the complexities of the file system 
and when they finally relented and added the files up, it didn't feel like it was worth the wait. Perhaps there is no way for Apple to know ahead of time. I'm super excited about the new capabilities of the Swift Playgrounds app. I have literally been waiting for years for something like this, and I will make sure working copy works well for users that need version control. Thanks again to Anders for sending that in, and make sure to check out Working Copy in the App Store. You can listen to episodes 71 and 102 of this podcast to hear more from Anders. With that said, I just want to remind everyone that you can now financially support iPad Pros in two different places. First off, patreon.com slash iPadPros. Get episodes early and with embedded MP3 chapter markers by supporting the podcast at any tier. Bonus content is also available at the higher tiers. You can also now subscribe to iPad Pros in Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is an all-inclusive, single subscription. So you'll get all of the bonus content plus episodes early by subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts. By default, subscriptions are monthly, but if you go into your subscription settings in the Settings app, you can switch it to a yearly plan. My thanks to everyone that currently or has in the past supported the podcast financially. This podcast is not a quick one to produce, and your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also support the podcast for free simply by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. No matter your region, it really does help. The reviews help send the right signals to Apple to show this podcast more in search, helping others discover the show. If you have a minute today, I'd really appreciate you opening up the podcast app and leaving a review. My thanks to everyone that has already done that. With that, here's my interview with Frank. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Awesome. I'm glad you I'm glad you have me today. Yeah, so uh, this is a very exciting show. Uh, first show of the new year, uh, first off, and uh, we're going to chat about something that was announced back in June, right? WWDC was in June of last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was been that long. And it's Swift Playgrounds 4. Uh, the ability to write and publish apps entirely from an iPad, dating back all the way to the iPad Air 2, I believe, is as old as it gets. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is an exciting moment for iPad, being able to publish and write apps from the device that you're wanting to run it on. So that's a big deal. It's honestly, it's one thing that I've been looking forward to since they announced it. And even before then, um, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of the iPad and I love the flexibility of the device. And being a developer, man, having it on there, whew, um, I got a lot. I got a lot to say. I guess. I guess yeah. we can we can get into it. We can talk about it. But yeah, absolutely, I'm, I'm very excited. So before we get into that, can you just kind of introduce yourself, your background, and broadly how you use the iPad today? And you know, well, as we'll chat about on the show, it may be changing in the future with Swift Playgrounds. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Frank Foster. I am an associate iOS developer at Rocket Mortgage. Um, I have worked at, uh, I've basically been a full-blown developer for about a year and a half now, but I've been teaching myself to code and teaching others to code since 2018. Um, I was part of a group called Inspire Idaho, where we helped um, students from uh, who didn't have an opportunity to go to college or didn't make financial sense for them to go, uh, the University of Idaho. Uh, created this accreditation or this certificate program basically to give people an opportunity to be certified as a developer um, without going to mainstream school. And I was thankfully one of the mentors for that program to kind of help people learn to become developers and uh, most specifically iOS development through 
the use of Xcode on the Mac. Prior to that, I was in IT and I worked at Apple for a couple of years as a genius. So um, I know the iPad pretty intimately, <laughs> having <laughs> fixed fixed them software-wise, hardware-wise, and now writing code for them. So uh, I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on them. But uh, yeah, uh, I also live here in, here in Idaho with my family. I've got three kids. And uh, I, what else? I guess that's pretty much it. I mean, as far as the, the iPad and what I use it for, so um, the iPad sits on my desk and gets used pretty much throughout my day. Um, I use it for a wide variety of things. For, I mean, there's the general use stuff, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, watching movies, responding to emails. Um, it's my lifeline to iMessage. Um, my whole family and everybody's on iMessage. So I use that as my iMessage. And I guess I should start with... Um, currently I'm running a 12.9 inch iPad pro, the M one model. So yep. I think there's a 2021, I can't remember if that was a 21 or 2020. Nope. 2021, but 2021. Yeah. So it's the most, I think it's the most recent iteration of the pros. Um, and then I also, my wife has a six gen iPad and I have a iPad air two, which I'll, we'll talk about in a little bit that I kind of got specifically for Swift playgrounds for Yeah. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I also use VNC to access. I run sort of a home lab at home, so I run some Raspberry Pis that I have to remote into from time to time. Um, I use Terminus as well, an excellent SSH app for that type of work, too. Um, lets me keep all my iPads up and running. Discord with some of my buddies while I'm gaming. Uh, I use Procreate to do iPad, you know, to do sketching and stuff mm-hmm. for uh iPad uh, apps or iPhone apps that I'm working on. And uh, I use the Apple Pencil and Notes for light sketching as well as light note taking. But I, I'm very much a proponent of using the iPad for if if it's something that I could do on my Mac, more than likely I'm, I've done it on the iPad first and I've yeah. only moved to the Mac when I found those pain points. So yeah, that's kind of the, the broad scopes. With Pro create and you mentioned for apps that you're working on are you using the ipad mm-hmm. as like mocking mocking those apps up the ui of it on the ipad or what's the use there yeah i i kind of use it for for two things really um i i like to create like flow of how an app works right like for most apps you want to know what screen is going to go to what screen you have sort of the architecture of what the app is going to look like yeah and I'm a mentally visual person. Like I have to visualize it and see it. So I'll draw out little boxes and squares and lines and things sort of mind mapping. Um, I, I like free flow mind mapping like that rather than using something like a, like a mind mapping app. Um, so I'll use procreate in that way where I'll kind of sketch it out or yeah, writing up, drawing up different UI components, um, sketching things, doing the rough sketch of how I want things to look or, how I imagine things to operate. Um, so Procreate's used that way. I've also used another app called Linea, which is really good because it has some guides as well, um, some frames and things you can sketch, like a, a frame of an iPad or a frame of an iPhone. So you can keep your drawings within the bounds of a, of a screen, which is yeah. kind of nifty from time to time. Nice. Your current work in coding uh, professionally, mm-hmm. uh, what's kind of your role there again? Yeah, so I um, I basically help maintain. I can't talk about every little piece of the project. Yeah, um, just with NDAs and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. But basically, I'm an iOS developer, so I use a Mac um, and Xcode, which is Apple's development suite, to write code for our internal and external iOS apps. Um, so a lot of what I do is 
either um, writing UI or writing architecture, or we review each other's code, we review each other's documentation. There's a lot of not just coding, but the overall sort of aspect of maintaining things, how much time will take to do X. You know, there's a lot of discussion and meetings about how long things will take or what we need to do to accomplish certain tasks. Um, so it's kind of a little a bucket of everything. Um, sort of time management as well as coding. Anything else before we dive into Swift Playgrounds? No, I think the big thing for me is that, you know, diving into coding early on, um, I very much was like, I, I was one of those people that that had to take a MacBook to school, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm 33. When I went to college, I had to lug a MacBook and a bunch of books with me. And I'm very jealous of students these days who get to just carry an iPad with them. Yeah. You know, most students can get their books on their iPads and be able to notate them now. So for me, it's like uh, I, the, what made me so excited about Swift Playgrounds, not only when they were announcing it, but kind of the hints and and kind of like, ooh, maybe it'll happen kind of stuff that we've kind of seen for a while. Um, it's I, I can't overstate how excited I am for this update and kind of what I see as the future for it. So, you know, just still reiterating my excitement, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So... Up until now, Swift Playgrounds has been a tool to kind of teach you the concepts of Swift. And I played some of the games within here where you're guiding a robot around a course to pick up items and hit switches. And I felt like I've been learning the basics of Swift. I haven't gone through all of the lessons there, but made through a couple rounds of them and, you know, um, making up my own, I guess, um, I forgot the terminology for it where you write a bunch of lines and you can recall back to that line with a single phrase or word. I think those are the functions. Yes, functions. So I got to that point at least. And so one, the question I first have is if I'm someone like me who has never written Mm -hmm. a line of code, um, Swift Playgrounds kind of all I need to build my first app to learn the necessary, you know, knowledge to get there. Um, if I continue on with these lessons, will I be competent enough to write my first basic app or do I need to seek outside help books and other online tools to kind of learn the, the stepping stones into app development? I think so. I've I've had the wonderful opportunity of being able to help a number of people and sort of mentor people and see the different avenues that people take to get there. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating is that pretty much everyone's journey to building an app looks completely different. For myself, it took me nearly you know I I, I haven't even published my first app to the App Store you know, and so for myself, I've spent what three years now in, in training and in, and in a role. Um, so three years developing, I guess, with, mm-hmm. without um, actually having published something. So I think when you talk about the, you know, how this tool can be used for people to learn, I think there's always been this like middle ground stepping stone. You know, there's, there's sort of the beginning, kind of what you've gone through these sort of beginning um pieces of the learn to code with the Swift app that kind of teaches you some of the foundations. And Apple's own books, Apple has their own education books that I encourage everybody to check out. They're completely free. Um, and they're I think they're called Develop in Swift. Um, I'll have to get the exact name for you, but they give you an excellent overview. Yeah, they're in the Apple bookstore, I believe. I, I yes, yeah. I've not gone through them yet. The the kind of challenging part about those books, those are the books that I've used as a curriculum for helping people learn. And the challenging part about those books is it kind of goes, okay, here's the basics. Here's all the building blocks. 
Now jump into Xcode and start doing big things. And Xcode, I don't know if many people have jumped in and said, I'm going to learn Photoshop, or I'm going to learn Final Cut, or I'm going to learn something like this. And you open up the application for the first time, and there's dials and knobs and switches and levers and all these buttons and interfaces that you look at and go, oh boy, there's a lot to know here. Yeah. And that's the problem with Xcode, is that when you jump from sort of the Swift playgrounds all the way up to Xcode is that it's daunting and it's scary. You don't know what all these buttons do. You don't know what all these interfaces do. So the thing that really excites me about Swift playgrounds four is that, you know, if you're reading those same books today and it says to jump into Xcode, you can skip that and go right to the app building portion of Swift playgrounds four in a, in a big way. And it's a much simpler interface. It's a much more familiar interface. And especially being an app, it's a much more accessible interface because it's just, there's not as much noise of levers and knobs to pull. Um, so it keeps you focused a bit. You know, um, I think one of the beautiful things about the iPad is that you also get that, that full screen view, right? Like mm-hmm. the app is there, you don't have anything else. Right. And so it keeps you focused on the task at hand. Um, and Xcode, you know, you pair that with multi-window operation, and soon enough, you've got your Twitter up, and you've got your browser window up, and you've got your, you know, Facebook running, and, you know, you get distracted, right? Right. So I think there's there's like an inherent beauty of this simplified UI in addition to just the nature of the iPad being able to say, okay, don't listen to anything else that's running right now and focus on what's going on. Do you know with the version four update, did they add any new tutorials or lessons or was it entirely this new app building capability? In my digging, I didn't see much new. Um, granted, I, have, I haven't dug too deep, but from what I've seen, they haven't added much that is new. However, I believe there is some documentation that's been updated on Apple's website. Um, I feel like they did update their Swift Playgrounds page with some points to that. I'd have to double check, but okay. I'm pretty sure that's the case. So uh, for those new to this, kind of the recommendation is, you know, go through these tutorials and Swift Playgrounds, you know, learn the basics, download these learning books from Apple. Um, they've released multiple ones. Is it just the latest one? Does it update every year with like, here's um, the current way we want to teach it? Or is the first book helpful? Or has as Swift has been improved over the years, the language has been updated. Are those older books yes. useful still? I would say, so I would say try to be as current as possible, especially since they're free. Like there's no reason to really go back to the older versions. Mm-hmm. Um, they do update them. You know, there's, a huge paradigm shift we had as as programmers a few years ago was the shift from something called UI Kit to Swift UI, and it's a new declarative framework for writing code. And Swift UI is much simpler to use; it's much easier to understand, and a lot of the newer documentation on it is very, very good. Um, in fact, Apple has started to add a lot of that documentation just directly to their website under the developer um, portion of their site. So there's a lot of resources that not even getting into the books you can look at and start learning how to build things. So yeah, with my recommendation, stay as current as possible, um, especially with the way things are moving. Um, Swift UI, there's, 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 it's kind of a larger question because both Swift UI and UI Kit have their pros and cons. Um, Swift UI is very new, so it's much easier to learn because it is simpler uh, and simpler, sim- more simply written. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess is the best way of putting yeah. it. And uh, UI Kit has been around for quite some time, 
So there's a lot more documentation, a lot more tutorials. There's more people who are knowledgeable about it. So the resources are there, um, but they really aren't, you know, Swift UI isn't going to replace UIKit anytime soon. So there is benefit to learn both. And Playground supports both of those. Correct. Yes. Playgrounds currently supports uh, iOS and iPadOS apps. Um, that's one of the limitations is that Mac, uh, Apple TV, and Apple Watch are excluded from it from the time being. Yeah. You know? The Apple Watch is the real killer because I feel like yeah. that's the most basic kind of app you could write. It's such a slim down kind of user interface that that would be a great starting point and it's just a shame that it's not a part of this version one yeah there that was one thing that in my in my sort of initial testing and and playing around with it like i was disappointed that i couldn't very easily use or create an apple watch app the thing that is nice because you can also now i believe write entirely independent apple watch apps that don't need an iphone to talk to that you can just go on the Apple Watch App Store and download something. Correct. Yeah. There's. I, I'm hoping that it changes in the future because part of the beauty of the Swift UI is that it is cross-platform. So one of the things that you can do is once you get your app from, you know, built on the iPad and then moved over to to a Mac and begin development there in in the big Xcode version your code already starts working for an, for a watch or starts working for a Mac. You just need to tweak some things that are more specific for them. But Swift UI makes it very easy for those things to kind of maneuver across. Yeah. So the experience coding in Xcode versus Swift Playgrounds 4, is this like an iMovie versus Final Cut Pro kind of experience where it's just <laughs> much more streamlined is what it sounds like. There's a few things. So especially as, as a developer, there's pieces that, that kind of are harder to access. I, I'd say the, it's been a while since I've touched iMovie and Final Cut. I've, I've had some experience with them, but I'd say it's probably close to that. You know, if anything, it's, it's more or less like uh, preview versus Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> might, might be a better, might be a better analogy. Um, Swift Playgrounds can get you, probably like there's it really depends on the app that you're building um when i set out to build the app that i built on it called munchie one of the things that i wanted to use was a tool called core data which is apple's built-in storage for and icloud syncing so it's very it's um relatively straightforward to implement in xcode but completely impossible in swift playgrounds um, I don't know exactly the limitations there, but it seems to be that uh, a database like that isn't something that can be created. And hooking up the iCloud elements and having some of the signing certificates and stuff that's necessary for that just don't exist in Swift Playgrounds. With that said, there are other frameworks that you can import to use for things like storage. I haven't tested it, but I'm assuming things, you know, one of the beautiful things that Swift Playgrounds has is the ability to import swift packages so and those are sort of supporter packages of code that allow you to add features to your app without doing a lot of the work yourself um, so one such might be firebase which is a google product but it lets you store data up to google's cloud um, and back down or use their authentication and things like that so theoretically, you could pull those in on Swift Playgrounds and use those within your app as your storage. Being the Apple guy and liking to use a lot of Apple stuff, that was one of the frustrations I ran into was not being able to use Apple's 
yeah. storage solution. And do you think it's a certificate requirement that they just haven't figured out how to make that stuff work yet? I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's the one of the things that Core Data does use under the hood is a little bit of Objective C, okay. and Swift Playgrounds doesn't yet uh, support Objective C. So without that support, I think there's a little bit of that, and mm-hmm. then there's also a little bit of like there really isn't much certificate signing or anything like that that's handled within Swift Playgrounds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. If I had to take a guess. Gotcha. Okay. So something I'm curious about is when you're coding on a Mac and you need to test out your code, you have to, you know, have an iPad or iPhone handy if that's the device you're writing for. And this, you're testing out your app on basically the same device it's going to run on. So if it's an iPad app, it's an iPad and everything's touch enabled, even in the, I think the preview is, so you can get a good idea even without exporting it into its own separate window. So what's this experience like and how does it differ from the Mac? See, this is absolutely one of my favorite things about it. It's it's a it's kind of a game changer in my mind. So to kind of walk through a little bit of it, that you can use. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a device when you're running Xcode, mm-hmm. but it depends on um, the features that you're using. So something as simple as you know, if I'm testing my app and I just need to test like how a list is pulling in data, I can use what's known as a simulator on the Mac. So the simulator runs alongside Xcode and it's basically an iPhone. It basically has to run a full blown version of, of an iPhone, similar to how you'd run like parallels with windows. Right. But this with the M one max, is that a different experience? Is it better with the simulators there or is it kind of no difference with the M one? So personally I I have the 14 inch M one pro and I had the M one Mac mini before that. And I have an Intel machine. I have the latest Intel MacBook Pro uh, for work. And I can say that the Intel really lags compared to the M1. Um, I was one of my personal projects that I ran. So it's emulating for the Intel for the simulator versus just running it, basically. Somewhat. It's still emulating the simulator on on an M1. But because the code is more, I don't know, an M1 chip is technically just an iPhone chip. Right, like it's just a souped-up iPhone. Yeah, chip. so it's less less translating. You still have to translate exactly. the OS in some way, I'd imagine. Yeah, but it still needs to it still needs to create a simulated environment like a virtual machine, mm-hmm. and then it has to put the OS on that and do all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, on, it's on a touchscreen as well. Yeah, yeah, you lose that. So you you do you can manipulate it with the mouse, but it's it's not the same as a phone for sure. And then. So you have the simulator, and then there's also the option of, I think, wired or wireless to hook up uh, iPhone or iPad to it as well, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And hooking up wired is the more fast way to do it. Unfortunately, the Wi-Fi mode is a little slow, but you're right. You have to build the app, and then you have to let it compile, and then you have to let it transfer it over to the phone, and then you have to pick up the phone, you have to unlock the phone, you got to go into the app. And you got to test it, right? Yeah. So something as simple as like a camera, um, like maybe I'm building a Snapchat competitor. Who knows? Something as simple as that is like a 10-step process, right? You got to wait for it to load. You got to wait for it to build. You got to wait for it to go. And then you got to open the camera and that whole nine yards. With it directly on device, the beautiful thing is that you can go into the settings, say, yeah, I want camera enabled um, as a feature for this app in, in Swift Playgrounds. And then when you open the camera, it's just the iPad camera. So you can just test it right there. Or with my UI side by side, the thing that blew my mind, um, I got a chance to, you know, like I said, I had an iPad Air 2 
and I have an iPad Pro, and testing on both of them compared to my M1 Mac. So if I were just running a simulator on my M1 Mac with the app Munchie that I was building, running a simulator would take about 30 seconds to launch off of a cold launch. And this is a very simple app, not much code Very simple. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't a full-blown, like, major, huge app, but... Basic application, the first launch would take about 30 seconds on a brand new M1 Pro. Doing the same thing on an iPad Air 2, and mind you, that came out, I think, 2014. So on an iPad Air 2, it took about 25 seconds from a cold launch for me to run Munchie on the iPad Air 2 in Swift Playgrounds. So the fact, like, that alone is insane. Like, the M1 is near instant. When I write code, it's there and ready for me to play with. And that's unprecedented for a coder like the fact that at least in the ios sphere i'm sure sure a lot of the web dev folk have that ability to jump into their their pages very quickly right yeah um, for basic stuff but um yeah for ios development that's amazing so it's it's hard to feel like that's like that's that's the understatement of the year i think a lot of developers who jump in and go and might say oh this is too too basic or whatever for what i'm doing um, that that's what I want to point them to and be like, this is why you need this is that this is a great first stage sort of the way I used it was as a first stage development, getting the UI built, getting the basic po- components of it kind of set up and ready to go and then move it yeah. to the Mac to do those finishing touches. Right. You're able to stay in more of a creative flow if you're not waiting mm-hmm. for a load screen. Exactly. Yeah. There's also that underrated ability of, I want to go check out my sketches that I did and I can just multitask over to it and it's there and I can look at my sketches and I can tweak them a little bit based on what I've been designing and then jump right back to the code and start coding and having it in a smaller package than my MacBook and more carryable, more portable with with better battery life even to some degree. Um, It's crazy. It's crazy to me. For UI implementation, we're never going to get to a point where you're just able to like do it without code. (laughs) It's like put a put a bu- put a button here. Let me drag it around uh, where I want it on the screen, and that's not happening with UI or Swift UI. I'm guessing from what I've read. Um, it, yes and no. Um, it kind of depends on the tool. I, I would say yes, but it's limited. It's very very limited. So on okay. Xcode, you can pull those snippets in, and you can drag and drop them to um to your your preview. Um, on Xcode. But the issue that you run into is that previews are very finicky. And especially even on the newer M1 Pro and M1 Max computers, um, they they take a while to load. There's a lot of special rules that are needed for them to get going. And sometimes if you're going to do that drag and drop and you know the code already, it's way faster to type the code. Okay. Um, so that that's one thing. But on the flip side of that, there are a lot of plugins that people have been building for other tools to try and export some of that code or be able to handle some of the work from that. I wouldn't say it's replacing coding by a long shot. In fact, it's still not perfect, but I wouldn't be surprised if in 10, 15 years that becomes a reality in some way. Okay. And something about Swift Playgrounds is you're primarily writing an iPad app, right? And when you open it in a new window, it's an iPad app, and you can look at it in the smallest size class because it's a split-screen enabled app. So you can pull up a second app to kind of test out what's it look like in kind of the taller size class that would most closely resemble an iPhone. Mm -hmm. But there is no iPhone simulator. Um, Is that smallest size class uh, in split screen mm-hmm. good enough for iPhone testing in your opinion or? Um, oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Cause 
you don't need a whole lot to do that. And the beautiful thing again, too, is that theoretically you can pull this over to Xcode and then, and then run it on an iPhone if you need to, or run it in an iPhone simulator. Um, with the new file types that Swift Playgrounds enabled, it's as long as you have Xcode 13.2 or higher, you can just open that, that Swift Playground file. You don't even need to like do any manipulation of it. You can just open it and then just tell it to run on an iPhone. Hmm. But okay. for the most part, that smaller size class, when you are working on it, um, at least from what I was using it on the 12.9 inch and even on the iPad Air, um, it's it's appropriately sized in width and height uh, as far as being able to as closely resemble an iPhone as possible. Yeah. And there is there a way to tell this app it's iPhone only or are all Swift Playground apps universal for iPad and iPhone? That's an excellent question. Um, I think by default, Apple wants them to be universal. Right. Um they they want you to say I can reach as many people as possible, and especially with Swift UI, like it's very very doable. Um, being able to make like the work that I put in for my app uh, Munchie, I I didn't do anything to create an iPad version of it. It just that's how Swift UI works. If you tell it you want a list, then it'll build it as best as it can for a list on iPhone and iPad, um, and you can granularly adjust it if you need to. But the lift to add an iPad app for a beginner or, or someone who's learning, very, very minimal. Um, there are ways either in the distribution of the app or if you do manage to get it over to Xcode that you can say, yeah, I just want this to be an iPhone app or I just want this to be an iPad app. But I think Apple's future is that they want you to run both. Okay. Yeah. Um as far as Swift UI, we've gone through the simulator experience. Something mm-hmm. that I believe Xcode does is this live preview with an Xcode. Yes. And this was demoed on stage, uh, showing it being an instant process where you type something that's instantly there. Uh, based on my listening of developer podcasts, that is not the reality. Um, <laughs> what's Unfortunately, like? yes. Yeah, what's the experience like on Xcode versus... Um, playgrounds in this case yeah and i think that's where i point back to my earlier answer in the sense that like playgrounds on an m1 ipad is near instant for these previews and the the whatever magic the developers of swift playgrounds is creating um it's pretty fantastic because having that code up there and running and being able to mess with it right then and there is just the beyond words can't describe how much that keeps that creative flow going when you're building those those independent apps. I've used Swift Playgrounds or I've used Swift UI both in an independent environment and also in an enterprise environment. And the thing that I can say is that when you do start reaching those larger scale applications, um, the Playgrounds or this Swift preview in Xcode becomes bloated and it becomes really hard to to render those images because it's got a lot of data it's got to parse through. Um, so I feel like Apple does have a lot of work there to like bring the two up to parity and Swift Playgrounds currently is in the lead um, by a long margin. Okay. So it, yeah, it's 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 definitely challenging to a developer, especially, I mean, it's faster sometimes just to run it in a simulator or to pull it up on a phone. And Playgrounds 4 will actually run on a Mac if you want to just like, I don't want to use Xcode, let me just run Playgrounds on my Mac. Is that accurate? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I don't even know. Um, okay. That's a great question. I would assume so. In fact, you're making me open up the App Store right now to see if Swift Playgrounds is on the Mac. I would assume so. Yeah. Since they did add it. Uh, yeah, they added version 4.0. I'm going to say yes. Uh, and while we're talking, I'll try to open it and see if it'll actually let me open my app 
Because right? it should. I don't see why it shouldn't. Does a playground file upload to iCloud to sync between all... If you have multiple iPads or even your Mac, would that file work um, yes. in sync? Okay. Yeah. And that's that's really cool. It creates its own playgrounds folder in iCloud. So I that's one of the tests that I did was, hey, I've got this iPad Air 2 and I've got this iPad Pro. I started doing something on the iPad Air 2 gave it that like minute or two that iCloud needs to make sure everything was moved across to check my iPad Pro and those updates were there. Cool. And then uh, something I read in one of the write-ups about this is they added a UI element in Playgrounds for adding capabilities to your app. Um, these seem mm-hmm. to be in regards to privacy uh, requests like Bluetooth or location access. And in the past, I guess you had to know the code and just like add it in there somehow in Xcode. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you describe this a bit more? Um, yeah. So something like like a camera, for example. So you can create the code to create the view that the camera has, but the user um, obviously wants to make sure that your app isn't opening up a camera app in the background or showing something, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you get that little privacy pop-up that says, hey, your camera is open. Do you want to allow this app to use the camera? Um, that is something that's required by all apps if they have a camera access, you have to have that 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 little tag on there. It goes into a plist file where you basically say, I want to add this privacy functionality, and it's going to be a camera functionality. So anytime or whatever the first instance of the camera gets opened, run this privacy code and ask for that permission. And then you also have to write some of the handlers for like, if that doesn't work, um, you may want to have it just like close the camera window or do something else or, you know, say, pop up another thing saying, are you sure this is a camera app? You might want to use the camera. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, from my experience within Swift Playgrounds, there is not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of configuration to do that. You basically pop in and say, I'd like to use the camera in the capabilities. And then it just adds that functionality. So the reasoning behind this, from what I can gather, is that it uses this newer style uh, of format called a Swift Playground or a Swift PM file, Swift Playgrounds file. And it's it's a form of a of a package file, which is similar to a lot of add-ons that people put into code. Um, so it bundles all of that inside of that package file so that it can be more easily configured, in a sense. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds definitely more approachable if you're new at this. I did just check Swift Playgrounds on the Mac here, and I can't get my app to open. It actually says app projects can't be open on Mac OS with this version of Swift Playgrounds, and it is Swift Playgrounds 4.0. Interesting. So it seems like they want to push you to Xcode still on the Mac. Yeah, that's very curious. Um, Because it seems even as a student, I I might prefer that (laughs) versus Xcode. And yeah, and, and not to say that Xcode, Xcode does have a version, this is where it does get a little confusing in that Xcode does have a sort of a smaller version of it called Xcode Playgrounds, hmm. where you can okay. open up a smaller window that doesn't really let you build apps with it, but it's more or less so that you can get the hang of writing the syntax, using some of the logic, understanding, you know, like what a variable is or a function um, it's really for writing out like quick thoughts as well. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't need the full blown thing. You just need a like a word document to to write in that's code based, and that's kind of what that's for is the Xcode playgrounds. Okay. So it's not to say that there isn't a feature for it. It's just not as graceful as having an app 
that does it. <laughs> yeah. So if you do bounce between Mac and iPad, mm-hmm. you can go from Playgrounds to Xcode, but not the other way around, is my understanding? It depends on what you do from there. So Xcode 13.2 can open up these new Swift Playgrounds files, these packages, and you can manipulate them, do whatever you want. And as long as you don't move that into a full-blown application, mm-hmm. for example, my the app that I was working, working on, Munchie, um, the limitation I ran into was core data, right? I couldn't add core data to my app. So what I ended up having to do was actually extract the files from this with Playgrounds file and put it into a full Xcode project. Similar to, uh, I guess the best way of putting it is kind of like if you're using if you're using a photo as an example, um, a lot of users you know might create JPEGs and moving those JPEGs back and forth and editing those. That's similar to Swift Playgrounds. You can't really do a whole lot with them. I mean, there's quite a lot you can do with a JPEG, but it's not as good as using like a raw file, right? Right. For for in the photography terms. So um, going between Swift Playgrounds and Xcode is similarly like taking a JPEG from your phone and moving it to Lightroom, I guess would be another good example. Lightroom or, you know, uh, back in the day, Aperture. Yeah, it still is a, a simpler file type, but you're moving it between a professional app and a and a you know more simpler app like Snapseed or, um, gosh, I don't know, Verbisco, Vsco. Yeah. It's been a while since I've done photo editing on my phone, right, uh, or even my iPad. Um, but yeah, I guess that analogy still stands. With Xcode, you can still move it back and forth as long as you keep it that same Swift Playgrounds file type. It's fine. Okay. It's once you then graduate it to a bigger project, that's when it becomes, that's the point of no return. Can't bring it back to the iPad. If you somehow, if you add an Apple Watch app to your iPhone app you're building, it's not going to open back up in Playground. Yeah, exactly. So the Magic Keyboard and along with that, the trackpad, how is that used in this update? Any kind of cool uses of that? Yeah, I mean, um, the it works like a Mac. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like it's it's kind of silly to say that, but the beautiful thing is that you know it, being able to highlight certain functions of your code. Um, there's some really great opportunities. Like one thing that can happen is you create a function that's got a lot of stuff in it, but you need to find the end of that function or the the, the start or the end of it, so you can collapse that whole function down. Um, truncate it so you can kind of ignore the code in there. It still exists there, but it lets you kind of hide it while you look for other things, you know, um, as if you could, you know, hide paragraphs in a, in a pages document. Um, if you want to use that analogy there um, or collapsing menus, you know, it's kind of like you can do that, but with the code you've written, um, there's really great uh, right click options for being able to highlight certain syntax. Um, I haven't even delved into the shortcut commands, but a lot of your favorite like word processing shortcuts work, which is really great. Um, so, you know, command all and uh, delete the, uh, what is the function there? You can also use like the find function will jump you to the find there. So command F. So they've really made it as comfortable for developers and people who are familiar with even word processors. Um, very similar in its operation using shortcuts which is very, very nice. And then the Magic Trackpad definitely lets you, you know, it changes, it's just like pages in a sense where it'll change to the vertical line and allow you to select, highlight, drag, cut, copy, paste, yeah, you know, whatever you need. So it's very, very familiar to a Mac MacBook user 
um, to jump in there and start utilizing it. Cool. And then something I read up on one of the write-ups on this is there's this ability to import third-party Swift packages using Git. Yes. So what kind of third-party packages are there? Why is this a big deal? And uh, you know, how does it help you as a developer? There's, I'll, I'll say that Swift Playground still, um, you know, when I was, when I was using it, it was still very much, uh, still very much in beta. I haven't had an opportunity to get back to it since the beta. So you were a part of the, the beta team before this went live. Yes, I was. Yeah. I got an opportunity. Apple reached out, um, and just asked if I'd like to check it out before it released. Um, and I don't know. I can't exactly say why they picked me yeah. other than maybe I, I tweeted a lot about it. It was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. I'm ready for it. Um, I got to speak to some of the Swift Playgrounds team members at WWDC. Um, they did have sort of a side thing. But at no point did they say something like, oh yeah, give us your email and we'll send you a code. Right, kind of yeah. thing. They just kind of out of the blue were like, hey, here. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll take this. This is cool. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of challenging of like, I can't talk about this for a month. I think they gave it to me about a month in advance. And it was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw you post on day one. So I kind of had a feeling based on all the work you did that it's uh, <laughs> something yeah. you really access to. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty decent developer. I don't think I could build an app and write an article about it in the same day, like right. minutes after <laughs> Yeah. after it releases yeah um so yeah so it was really cool really 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 cool to be a part of that like beta process and see how apple does that and you know if anybody from apple is listening please invite me to the next one i'm more than happy to give feedback and write more stuff and and talk about it but yeah going back to the package stuff the really cool thing about packages within coding is that like you know there's a lot of packages that maybe packages are usually open source people have built them for the purpose of giving them to the community, right? There's some things that are just ubiquitous. One such example that I used a while back was a package that let me create rating stars. And, you know, you've seen in like app review where you can tap the star and put a rating in here. Uh, and yeah, you can have Apple it be you know, half now, right? stars or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they've got that on their, on their stuff. I think... Yep. It was popularized back in the Yelp days. Oh yeah, or and and really for even sooner than that. I'm sure it goes way back to the early eras of the computer of the internet. But uh, yeah, so I could code that myself, but it's a pain in the butt, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But some generous soul out there, and I believe it's called Cosmos. If somebody else wants to try it out, um, Cosmos is a package that lets me that basically gives me sort of a prepackaged version of that to help speed up my code process. Now I don't have to spend a day, two days, a week on doing something. Um, I can just import a package and use the code from that package to build and and add things to my code. I think I mentioned Firebase earlier is another one. Firebase is Google's big. Um, they're a much larger enterprise, right? Firebase is something that runs the backend authentication. Um, it runs databases. It runs messaging streams. It runs like all this other stuff. You can hook it in. You can get analytics with it. Um, it's very, very big. And so an independent developer who wants to build an application, like there's no way I could build something like a chat feed or the backend server stuff for for a database with thousands of users, right? Yeah. It's much easier to, to have Google or Amazon or Apple or somebody else handle that infrastructure for you. So that's where like a package like Firebase comes in, in the sense that you can get that into your app 
and then access the code necessary to get to, you know, there's, there's some more configuration on the back end. Um, but it's far less work than you trying to build a data center, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's, that's some of the, like, but that's like a small use and a large use case of packages, but it's one of the benefits that you can have with these Swift packages is that, you know, maybe I want to lighten some of the work and get something that can help, you know, streamline and move the app forward quickly and importing those packages helps a ton. Yeah. So it's a really welcome feature. I was just thinking about something. I would love if um, like the Delta app could be a Swift Playgrounds app that could be shared. So I could just not worry about uh. side loading anymore and just like <laughs> share playground files with people. It'd be great. That's uh, that's something that Riley, Riley will have to answer. I, I have never met Riley, but I've followed him closely with Delta and the alt store. And yeah. uh, I, I know. So one of the things this is, here's your nerdy like code. I mean, moment. I guess sharing a playground, you're obviously sharing the entire code base. So if you're, something you don't want to like here's all my code you obviously right. don't want to do that it depends i mean in you know this is your your like total side nerdy code thing is that like there's free open source applications that are run on the app store that somebody makes money money hmm. off of yeah and i mean um you know if you've ever watched like twitch streaming or whatever uh there's usually an app called obs and obs is a tool used to stream apps and OBS is open source. Anybody can look at the code. Anybody can update the code. Anybody can do anything with the code. Swift, the language itself, is open source. Hmm. Anybody can can commit to it. Yeah. So, you know, if it's code that you feel is valuable and is valuable to a larger community, and yeah, sure, you can make money off of it. But I think that there's a lot of people in the coding community that are really open to helping. And I think that's one of the other... Like, this is one of those fringe iOS dev benefits is like they're the community itself is so open and giving that having a tool like Swift Playgrounds and even having like some code like that, being able to import packages from other people, being able to, you know, find the code that other people have written. Um, it's such a great help to have that. And I think that's where Swift Playgrounds also helps break that barrier is that you can get that code very easily and get it into your app and get up and running. Yeah. Do you think games could be written in Playgrounds easily or... You know, there's not, un- I imagine there's not like Unreal support or, or I don't know. Yeah. What's, the, what's it look like there as far as, is this a tool people could use for that? And can game controllers be implemented with Swift Playground apps? So I'll, I'll preface with the fact that I'm a gamer, but I'm not a game developer. Yeah. <laughs> but I've definitely, you know, looked at the industry. I know what Unity is. I know what Unreal is. And I've kind of dabbled with them a little bit. But yeah. Um, the answer is yes, absolutely, with a giant asterisk, because games can be made with anything. Right. I can make it with Swift UI. In fact, I know of developers who've made full blown apps and haven't touched SpriteKit, Unity, or uh, or Unreal, and have made full apps using just the code that they know. Full mm-hmm. games, right? With just the code that they know. So, is it possible? Yes. The problem is that a little more difficult, maybe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, y- yes and no. I mean, it really depends on what you want to build because, uh, you know, theoretically I could build tic-tac-toe and that wouldn't be too difficult. In fact, it'd probably be easier than the app I build. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we all know that I'm not downloading an app called for tic-tac-toe. Right. There's already a million of them out there. So, you know, as but as a learning experience, yeah, it would be great. As far as like full-blown game development, I haven't looked to see if something like Sprite Kit is able to be added but if it is that or reality kit 
are kind of um, the ground, you know, the ground level stuff mm -hmm. for for game development. And you know, theoretically, you could do some of the basic Swift work um, in Swift Playgrounds before you move it over to something else like Unity or. Well, I guess Unity and Unreal kind of go into a full Xcode project, so I don't think I don't think you could, but you could yeah. theoretically do something with Sprite Kit or with Reality Kit as long as it supported it. I just haven't delved in to see if it supports it. Okay. And do you know implementing like shortcut support into an app, is that something easy to do within the Swift Playgrounds ecosystem? That's a really good question. I have not ever implemented it myself so i don't know what's involved yeah um because i know widgets were one thing because that'd be interesting to test like if you're able to like test even shortcut support in a playground window which would I i'm guessing not be yeah. a possibility because that because basically when you're running these apps testing them they're not separate apps they're just like new windows within playgrounds right kind of yeah so they they are technically their own package um so that kind of lets them be their own isolated experience it's just what that package support allows i don't believe thinking i don't believe that the that some of the behind the scenes stuff that's necessary for shortcuts and widgets for that matter. Cause I believe yeah. I did try to jump into some widget stuff and it just wouldn't let me do it. It just wouldn't give me the tools necessary for okay. it. And I, th I think shortcuts is the same example. Yeah. Yeah. Widgets would be another, like that'd be fun to make your mm -hmm. own widget for, for iPad. Yeah. And I think, I think the point is that like the, the beautiful thing about like Swift playgrounds is like, I can imagine someone who's very new, and wants to get people like trying their app and testing it out very quickly. And I think a lot of developers view things like shortcuts, Apple Watch apps, even widgets. There still is such a newness to them. Even though I feel personally as a developer that like widgets is a big deal. A lot of people really like widgets. And we saw an explosion of widgets when they first dropped. Um, I, I feel like those things are treated as ancillary things, right? Like right. shortcuts... Um, and I think if, if I'm like Apple, sprinkles like, on top of your donut, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you have them, excellent. And I'm always going to look for the apps that have them because I, I see that as like an extra sign of dedication, but the, uh, the challenge is that I think when it comes to Swift playgrounds, you know, I look back as a developer and say, what did it take for them to get here? Right. And it took them, you know, a, a global pandemic with crazy work cir circumstances, I'm sure as well as rush deadlines and, you know, all those kind of things that kind of jump into that. And just the, just to get like, what's the most minimum viable piece out there. I think they've done an excellent job in giving us like the core foundations of it. So I'm excited. Like I see this as, as not so much as like a final product, but as like an excellent foundation to start building some of those functionalities into Swift playgrounds alongside Xcode. I'd really like to see the two grow side by side. Yeah, I almost wonder if in 10 years and with the like evolutions and updates just with Playgrounds, if like mm -hmm. in 10 years, Playgrounds becomes a replacement for Xcode, you know, in a way that Final Cut Pro 7 stuck around for many, many years and then 10 finally killed it. Yeah, that would be. I'm curious to know that too, because I mean, there's still a lot of bloat in Xcode. Xcode is a very uh, hefty app and you know, I, like I said, I was a genius for six years. I saw, I saw Aperture go out the window and I saw Final Cut Pro 7 go out the window and I saw, 
you know, even iPhoto, man. Oh, oh do man. I have stories to say about that iPhoto moving awesome to that. photos? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I've seen Apple do it, and and I feel like their modus operandi is to drop whatever it is and create something completely new. And I don't think Xcode has ever seen that happen. Like, we may have seen under-the-hood changes, but we haven't seen a full, like, drop of it, too. Yeah. So if they can bring it up to, but we're also seeing Apple bring parity across their apps, right? Like I open up iMessage on my Mac and it's the same experience as on my phone or my iPad. I open up photos and it's the same experience. Um, even GarageBand and, and iMovie, a lot of the features are pretty much one-to-one. So is Xcode the next thing is the question. And I definitely feel like Swift Playgrounds could be that. Um, I'd love to see it go under a different name. Yeah. Because Playgrounds definitely feels a little more play funny. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and I, the Enterprise Swift Builder app machine, iApp. I um, yeah. Yeah. I think the i moniker is dead too, but... The uh, I, I think that something will happen. It's just they're going to tiptoe very carefully because they have to meet the expectations of enterprise as well as the expectations of current developers. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a tool that people run their businesses um, from creating the apps that run all the things. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it would not be done lately. It would need to be fully featured and ready to go on every level. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what we're going to see is a slow creep of features that are solid and capable, and it'll slowly bring it up to that. Because that that is the biggest challenge. Is like when you when you run Xcode, you got to be able to meet the people that are trailing as well as leading. And that's that's the challenge. And that's why I think a lot of developers have pain points with Xcode is that Xcode's trying to kind of hold hands with the past and the future. Um, and it's just not possible to yeah. drop the past, you know. And back to like running the app on the iPad itself, I love the little orange yeah. Swift icon that shows up in your menu bar when you're running it, kind of like the phone icon. Oh was. yeah, it's just a nice little touch. Yeah, I they they did a really good job designing the kind of separation when you do run the app. Um, like you know that it's running this other version. Um, I've always loved the little touches that they put into things like that for sure. Is there a way to run two apps at the same time? I believe you're saying two Swift Playgrounds apps. Yeah. Ooh, I have not tested that. That's a very good question. I would assume no, because if you're looking at, well, Xcode, technically you can do that. You can run two different apps on two different simulators. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how. Swift Playgrounds handles its compiler and its and its simulators, um, whether or not it has to like fully destroy it out of memory. Because you have to understand, like it does have to still target stuff like an iPad Air two. And if the iPad Air two can't handle, you know, it it struggles with single web pages sometimes. So trying to run Swift Playgrounds and an app and another app might be a little challenging for the iPad Air two. The M1, the M1 could probably handle it, no problem. But I, I would imagine that they want to keep it as available as possible. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And as far as the app icon, I discovered mm -hmm. that there's built-in app icons you can have for your app. Do you think we'll see in the app store these app icons start showing up across multiple apps? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's going to be the question, right? Like. I don't know if we've yet seen an app get to the app store directly from Swift Playgrounds. I know it can be done because you can upload it, but I think that... Um, it seems like I, a weird thing, right? For like 
yeah. the ability to ship the same app icon across like all these different developers. Because I don't know. Yeah. It seems like currently that's not a thing, right? If an app is sharing an app icon across... You can't just copy someone else's app icon, right? Well, and I think they still declare it as a placeholder. Okay. I'm pretty sure they declare it. See, the problem is I didn't bring my iPad with me. I should have brought my iPad into my office here, but um, otherwise I'd look at it. But I'm 90% yeah. sure that they, they declare it as a placeholder because when you push it up to the app to the app store, you don't actually automatically get it onto the store. It has to go through a testing process. You can put it into a beta test for people. Mm-hmm. There's There's kind of a process. But I believe that Apple does do checks against app icons to make sure that you're not using the same icons. Um, so they more than likely just have it set as a placeholder, and then you can remove that and okay. put in your own through Apple's website, gotcha. through the developer portal before you upload it to the App Store. Because I'm, I'm 90% sure they just call it a placeholder while it's okay. while it's in development. Yeah, And for designing the app icon on the iPad, is Affinity Designer kind of one of the better tools or are there better apps to do that work in? I think it depends on what you're comfortable with. Um, I know some people who like to use Photoshop. I know some people who like to use Procreate. Um, Linea is another one. Any of the designer type apps. Um, I think there was another one called Concepts that some people use, but as long as it's like a, uh, as long as it's like a scalable PNG, that's all that matters. I mean, you can theoretically do your your entire marketing on your iPad, right? Like you can create yeah. your app icon, you can do your video editing, you can do all of that. Yeah, you need to you need to submit screenshots and like a video along with mm-hmm. it, right? Typically, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the video is optional, but okay. you do need to have some sort of app store um, like marketing images, and then if you do plan to do stuff like events or things like that you have to have images for those okay as well as your app icon and i think there's another there's another icon type thing you need too yeah and then um have you tried playgrounds for with an external monitor and does it do anything custom there i did so i i actually have a 34 inch ultra wide and i connected it to my ipad and uh it just stretched the image okay <laughs> it's really boring Straight mirror. unfortunately it just puts it right up there but you could theoretically have a wireless keyboard and mouse dock your iPad and, and be able to have a desktop environment like that that you could still code with. Right. So that option does exist. Okay. And then um, have you you have not submitted anything to the App Store yet? Do you know what that process is going to be like or is like? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually created um, a test flight of my latest app called Munchie. And Munchie was developed about 90% on the iPad and the remaining 10% has been on the Mac. Um, my goal right now... Because test flight, you can't do from the yes, iPad, right? You can, yeah. Because you... So through uh, through Swift Playgrounds, you can push that IPA file, the, the, the actual file of your app, uh-huh. to App Store Connect. And App Store Connect is where developers go um, it's a portal that Apple provides where developers can either do test flight, which is their testing suite, yeah. um, or you can do uh, your, it also has a bunch of other stuff like app analytics, uh, your storage use for things like cloud kit, um, debugging stuff, network stuff, all that sort of stuff is up in there. Um, as well as like your developer information, you know, any earnings you make and right. stuff like that too. Okay. So yeah, um, test flight, you can do it. You just submit to app store connect mm-hmm. and, 
the submission, you're pushing up there, and then yes. after you do that, do you go on the website, or is there an App Store Connect app on the iPad to kind of manage all that? There is an App Store Connect app, but it's not as full-featured as the um, <clears throat> as the website. I know that they're planning to make the... They're slowly rolling, or at least I shouldn't say I know they're planning, but I should say they have been rolling out features uh, from the website on the iPad version and the iPhone version of App Store Connect. So there's a wow. lot more that it's being able to do like you can actually um, generate and send app store connect or test flight links uh, from the, from the, uh, uh, from the app. But before you do that, you still have to provide stuff like regulatory information, um, whether or not your app uses encryption um, sort of any data type stuff like, Hey, you need to have a privacy policy or you need to have a terms and conditions or something like that. So there's there's a lot of stuff that you sometimes have to go through those hoops for, and it's best done on the web page. Mm-hmm. But the web page completely operates on the iPad with zero issues. Oh, good. Um, other than your occasional weird website stuff that just happens normally, you know, um, for any website. But yeah, for the most part, works flawlessly. You can go in there, build out your tests, and then submit it, send it off. For people who haven't developed, basically the process that a lot of developers follow is they create a test flight. Um, which is basically a link that allows them to have people join and test their app before it gets to the app store. And when that's done, Apple has to review that app to make sure that you aren't, you know, sending out anything bad or malicious or anything like that. But it's not as, it's not as rigorous a review as getting into the app store. So once you go through the test flight review and they give you the thumbs up, you're allowed to test to external people. Once you've gone through that testing process and you feel like your code is good enough to push to the app store, you have to get all of your app store information ready. So your marketing images, your name of your app, your data, you know, your descriptors, anything like that. And then that's when you can submit. And at that point you wait for app review. App review says yes or no. And if they say no, you got to fix it based on what their recommendations and changes are. And then from there you have an app in the app store. And that can all be done on that web portal. So the beautiful thing is once you use Swift Playgrounds to get that app up to that portal, from there you can just use the web page to get the rest of that data up there. That's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Start to finish on iPad. Start to finish. Just to close out, a couple of just quick things, I think are quick things at least. Yeah. Something I've heard about is version control. Like, um, Yes. And that's not being in playgrounds. You know, my mind, it's like duplicate the project and have two different ones. One's like version 1.1 that you're working on. One's the original one. What, how should this be handled in a better way? That's a really good question. So yeah, this, this is one of those complaints that, that I would say is very valid as a developer. Um, for most people learning, like I wouldn't worry about it, but as you start to develop, um, there, there's a tool that's, that was developed ages ago called Git, uh, G-I-T. It's an old Linux tool that's been around forever. And uh, basically, Git allows you, if you think of your version control as sort of uh, a branching tree is the best way to think about it. Mm-hmm. And your code is this main line, that is the main trunk of that tree. But you may want to go off on a little tangent and like work on something without disrupting the main branch, right? You don't want to destroy the trunk um, so you create another branch and that's where Git comes in is it allows you to create those branches and go off on these little tangents. And then when you're ready, you can take those branches and put them right back into the main trunk of the, 
of the tree. Um, I guess more like a subway line than it would be <laughs> than it would be like a tree, a trunk of a tree. Yeah. The beautiful thing that that Git gives you is that every time you every time you basically save, it's called a commit. Every time you commit, it's another point in time where you can reference uh, when things changed, like Time Machine. So, like we, I think we're we're all familiar with Time Machine on the Mac. You can go back to a certain date and pluck out the file as if it was from that exact date and time. Um, so Git gives you that. It gives you that version control where every commit that you make is another sort of marker on that branch as far as what's changed since the last time you commit. It also allows you to not have to go through the challenge and the hassle. Like, let's assume that I write 500 lines of code and make a, a major change to what I'm doing, um, but it's on a branch, right? If I if I had that all in like a pages document and I wrote 500 lines, but then I decide oh, I don't I don't really like that. But those 500 lines in code aren't just in a paragraph that follows the previous paragraph. They're yeah. all over the place. They're right. you know you change the title and maybe you adjusted some some stuff here and there. Well, that's where version control comes in. Is that allows you to just roll back that whole thing if you need to or cut out that branch entirely. Or you can have two features in development at the same time. I can have one branch for, say, adding shortcuts and one branch for adding um, Apple Watch. So that way I don't have to disrupt the work that already is there and is working. Or I don't have to delay certain things because I'm working on one feature when people really want a different feature. So it allows for context switching, allows for all this other stuff. And the other really great thing about Git is that it allows people to have uh, cross-device functioning, right? It's it's how businesses operate. You know, um, I can say that you know there's a team of iOS developers working on the app that I work on in my in my day-to-day job, and without Git, we couldn't do it. Um, simple simple as that, because we'll all have our own branches that we're working on, and then when it's ready to bring those in, that's when we bring those in to the main branch. So it allows for, you know, faster code development. It allows for safer code development. It allows for quick context switching. There's just so many things that make it a lot more full-fledged. And it's not baked into Swift Playgrounds, but I have seen a few people using something called Working Copy, which is a Git management tool for the iPad yeah, um, and and iPhone, actually. But it allows you to, to upload that Swift Playgrounds to... Um, to GitHub or GitLab or keep it in a version control locally, um, which is really nice. So you can still do it locally on an iPad. You just have to introduce that second app to, to help manage it. And so it gets a little muddy when you're doing that. But yeah, that's that's kind of the core like importance of Git and why it's why it's so crucial, especially for developers. It's just it's the backbone of how you keep things in order. Okay. Yeah, very cool. That that makes total sense, and that sounds a lot better than here's a different, <laughs> entirely different project just for because yeah, yeah. multiple branches, and you're not quite sure what you're going to focus on today. Yeah, yeah, it's very different than like a pages document, or you know, even like a Final Cut thing or editing and any and other thing where you can just kind of you know command undo, command undo, because um, you know code is something that lives for months and has lots of hands in it. Yeah. And, you know, a project can last a year or more, or even longer than that, depending on what you're doing. Um, like I shudder to think, like if you think about something like Facebook's app, that app's been around for gosh, twelve, thirteen years. It's been around for a while. Yeah, two thousand eight, probably right. 
something like that. And they've, yeah, I'd say 2008. How many developers do they have? And how many hands are in the cookie jar? And how many times do they update it? And, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. But yeah. In the Facebook app, it's not just a web app, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, to be honest. I think it's their own React language. Yeah. yeah, I I deleted Facebook out of my stuff years ago. (laughs) I haven't had that app installed in a while. I use the website when I want to pop in. Um, Makes yep. it a little more friction, which is good. Exactly. Um, I agree. That's how I use it too. So uh, so you had early access. Um, everything kind of went mm-hmm. live um, a couple of days ago. Have you seen other tidbits from the community that also had early access that you've been reading up on and things you may have missed in your own experiences with it? Yeah, I think... Um... The, the really good one that I read was was actually Paul Hudson's. Um, Paul Hudson is a uh, he's a he's written um, this series called Hacking with Swift. And Hacking with Swift is another one of those like go to if you want to learn how to code. The two things I point people to is Apple's coding books and Hacking with Swift. Paul is um, far and away one of the best members of the iOS dev community and continues to give his time, energy, and effort to making it a better place. But um, Hacking with Swift, it's a completely free sort of resource. And he did a deep dive. He, he also got early access to it. And his deep dive is excellent because it's from the perspective of someone who's been in the industry for quite some time. And it's from the perspective of someone who can build those apps very, very quickly and make them look really good and do a lot and understands those limitations a lot more. Um, so that was really, really neat to kind of delve into um, and see his sort of mindset on, I can't point to one exact thing, yeah. but he had a lot of great points that I felt were poignant to developers, um, but still simple enough for the average user to kind of understand why it's important. Um, developers, we all tend to kind of get in our own heads and talk developer talk and yeah. I feel like Paul does a very good job of making it accessible to read about. His his was great. His was really great. Um, I wish I had others off the top of my head, but there, there's there been a number of people in the community who've had opportunities to kind of mess around with it. And I'm excited to see what people are building with it because it'll be a few weeks, I'm sure, for, yeah. for general general population of people. Weeks to months, depending on, on how often people get to it until we start to see real stuff starting to hit the store. Yeah, I'm sure WWC next year will have like a little mini showcase. <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. I'd love to see what people are able to come up with. Yeah. That'd be kind of interesting if in the Playgrounds app they added like uh, a gallery almost. Yeah. Kind of like a creations yeah, here's sort of thing yeah. so you could like download other people's app apps and try them out. It's different apps made. Oh, man. That's actually a brilliant idea. That's that's a really great idea. And you can even maybe flag stuff if it's open source for the code to just be in playground. Yeah, like like develop like almost a mini app store of its own. Yeah. Where you could say you can go to the app link or hey, check it out and download the code here. Yeah. That'd be cool. I like that idea. So um to wrap it up, anything you else we want to cover? like missing features that you really want in there or just anything broadly about playgrounds or the experience of writing code from the iPad, just anything else you want to wrap up with? Yeah. uh, I mean, I think we're just, you know, I'm, I'm very much a futurist. I'm very much a person who like, you know, the, there's always that joke that I think iPad users go back to, which is the whole, what is a computer, right? Like everybody's jokes about that one Apple ad that aired a couple of years back of the girl asking that question. And I feel, I, I feel like I'm one of the few people that like actually 
validly loves to ask that question because I feel like the iPad is one of those tools that we're starting to see, like with the advent of this, you know, we're starting to see the cracks break as far as this barrier kind of opening up. And even before that, we're starting to see the iPad become this more available device. The thing that really like, I, I'm someone who very much wants to get people into code as well. I've seen what it's done to help myself. I've grown as a person learning it. You know, the opportunities that it's given me is fantastic. And I want to see that barrier broken for people as well. And the fact that, you know, before when I had people reach out to me and be like, hey, I'd love to learn how to code. What do I need to know? And for me to go, well, I don't know how to teach you on a Windows device, but if you want me to teach you or if you want to learn iPhone development, you know, you have to buy a $1,000 MacBook. <laughs> and if you don't have an iPhone, you need a, you need an iPhone and, you know, all these other things. Oh, and you got to pay, you know, this, that, and the other thing for all these other features or whatever. But the fact now that you have a device that can design your app, that you can write your app on, that you can learn how to write an app on, that you can draw and design and build all the other marketing stuff that you might want for your app. The fact that you can also like build a website on this thing. We're now getting to that point where we have one device that can do all of that. And at a price point, that's a third of what we saw before. So for me, that's incredible. Like part of the reason why I bought the iPad Air 2 for this little experiment was also like, you know, I, I, I have people who also reach out and say, I don't have the financial means to do this. I don't have the financial means to just buy a MacBook, right? So can I point them now to a used iPad or, or, you know, say, Hey, you know, if you've got a family member who's got one, just has to borrow it, you know, a couple of days a week and you can yeah. learn to code. And to me, that's, that's amazing. Or even the baseline. How much was the Air 2 out of curiosity? I bought it on eBay <laughs> with a broken home button and 64 gigs of storage for a hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say the so, $300 iPad is yeah. probably pretty decent uh, since it is a, such a new processor and that, oh, yeah. that thing. But yeah, a hundred bucks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And even like you said, like even the base model, like even the base model iPad, you get yourself a decent keyboard and you can get a decent keyboard for like 30 bucks these days and get an education discount on the iPad. Yep. You can even go wired with the keyboard if you really wanted to, but I guess you need an adapter with the baseline iPad at that point. Well, you can even do, I think it was like the Logitech. Logitech makes a trackpad keyboard combo for like 30 bucks. Oh, wow. And so you do that and slap on a Bluetooth adapter and there you go. Yeah. And the, um, the pure touchscreen experience with coding in this, you really want a keyboard, right? A mouse would be prefer. Yeah, keyboard and mouse is preferable. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did try. Um, when I worked at Apple, I did use the iPad on-screen keyboard for quite some time. So it's been a while since I've actually used it and tried to use it in like a coding context. But it's doable. It's absolutely doable. Um, you're just going to go a lot slower than if right. you have a keyboard. Yeah, that's for sure. Because they do auto completion stuff, but yeah, you probably yeah you want a hardware keyboard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff in the UI. Like there's this console window. I'm not quite sure what it does. <laughs> there's, there's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's a better experience for sure. It's it's worth like if you can if you can pick up even a used Bluetooth keyboard somewhere. Um, you know, go go to the colleges, go to the universities, go to large businesses, ask them can I just have a keyboard? Do you guys have one in your junk drawer? Yeah. Because and, you also reclaim you know, a lot of screen space by getting rid of the keyboard on the screen. So yeah. you do. And it's, it's kind of important to see the context, but 
yeah, I mean, I could talk about it for, for the rest of it, but I think it is like, I'm very much about the democratization of tech, of tech and being future forward with the iPad. And this just brings it closer to a lot of people to be able to afford to break that barrier. And it makes me really excited to see like, not just like the apps that are going to come out, but like how many people may use this as a launching board for themselves to move into, you know, the coding experience, move into a, a software development career. So I'm yeah. very excited to see. Yeah. That I'm too. one of those people that will start playing around with it and yeah, I've always dabbled in code, but this will be the first time I can actually um, do that on a more consistent basis than when I yeah. find myself behind a Mac. Well, I, I I say this to you and to anybody listening. You can always hit me up. I, I can't I can't promise I'll answer everybody timely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got I've got family and life and stuff to live. But if I can, I'll do my best to either point you at good resources or try to help you with your issues because I'm I'm that adamant about it. I really think I'd like to try to help as many people learn to code as possible. That's awesome, Frank. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, where can people follow you yeah, online and um, follow your work and read your excellent write-up? Yeah, um, you can check out... So um, I have a personal site. It's just Frank E. Frank, the letter E, Foster.com. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at Frank, the letter E, Foster. Um, it's not... Don't spell out the letter E, but it's Frank E. Yeah. Foster <laughs> for both of those. And I don't write that often. In fact, this was like the third article that I wrote. I may do some more stuff there in the future, but um, Twitter is where I'm most active. Uh, but yeah, feel free to reach out to me in either of those spots. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Frank, for your time. This has been just a fun chat and really looking forward to this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. This was great to talk. Well, that was my interview with Frank all about Swift Playgrounds 4. My thanks to Frank for his time recording this episode and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. You can support the podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing to the podcast in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.